we're on week five of Uncanceled and and uh, today is um, I, I don't I hope you know I'm not the pastor if you if you're listening online or you've been coming here any length of time I'm not the guy that stands up here and says and says I heard from God and I, I just tend not to do that but today is um, today I believe the spirit of God is here to do something in your life you didn't just show up to church because it's a, because it's a duty or even if you got drug here, it was God's will for you to be here this morning. And so we're going to talk about Nebuchadnezzar has another dream and, and how it applies to our culture today. And I believe God is here to, to set us free from some things today. And I believe he could do that. We just sang a song. We can't do it in ourselves, but he is able to do that. Amen. He can do anything. So we're going to read from Daniel chapter four, and uh, and I want you to lean in a little bit. I probably won't be as funny as I typically am today. We're going to deal with some heavier things, but I believe that look at the root of who we are as Christians. We are not designed in God's presence to be bound up by things. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. He came to set the captives free. And so if, if you're here today and you feel bound up, I believe today God can set you free. Amen. So why don't we stand to our feet? We're going to read from Daniel chapter four. We're going to start in verse 19. We're going to skip down. It's kind of long, the whole, the whole thing. So we're going to skip down to verse 19. Nebuchadnezzar has already had a dream. This, this section, chapter four, looks like a letter from Nebuchadnezzar when you read the whole thing. And, and I'll get into that in a second. But we're gonna start in verse 19 with Daniel interpreting the dream. So you can find it on the screen, you can find it on the Bible app, and you can find it on the Hope Community Church app. Daniel chapter four, verses 19 through 37. Say amen if you're ready. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belshazzar answered and said, my Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw which grew and became strong so that its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in which was food for all under which beasts of the field found shade and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown to and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its root in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. And let him be wet with the dew of heaven and his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the most high which has come upon my Lord, the king, that you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat like 
eat grass like an ox and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Verse 28, all this came upon Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of his royal palace of Babylon and the king answered and said, is not this great Babylon which I've built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The king has departed from you, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that. The most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers. His nails were like bird's claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me And I was established in my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol the honor and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just. Those who walk in pride is able to humble. Father, we thank you today that you would, that none would perish. God, you are so patient with us. I pray today that your spirit draws us a step closer. I pray that you renew our mind because we were together looking in your word. Change how we think, Lord. We're trusting you today to change us. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen. You may be seated. So Daniel chapter four is a letter that Nebuchadnezzar is writing, recounting this experience he had, about an eight-year experience total. If you read the beginning of chapter four, you'll notice that there's a little bit of time shifting going on. The beginning of chapter four starts like this, King Nebuchadnezzar to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on all the earth. This is the opening letter. Peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the most high God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. So he starts out like that. So he's writing the letter after he's had this eight year experience. So he starts out the letter 
extolling God and giving him glory. And then he's going to switch into, then he's going to go backwards and recount what happened. So it's not him switching his mind. It's, it's, he's, he's, what do they call it? He's, he's going back in time. He has a dream that is extremely troubling again to him. My man has a lot of dreams. Has a dream that is extremely troubling. And, and nobody can figure it out, so he calls up Daniel again. And Daniel comes in the presence of the king. And the king says, uh, hey, Daniel, this is, what, this is how it went. It's a big, huge, large tree that spanned over the whole earth and birds nested in it. Everything was fed by it. It protected. It did. It was just an amazing thing. It was chopped straight down with a stump left. Then the dream switches from an image of a tree to an image of a man losing his mind and eating grass like an ox. So the king is disturbed by it. The good thing is he remembers the dream this time. It's not like the last dream he had where he didn't remember it. He he knows the dream. So he calls Daniel up. Daniel's response in hearing the dream is this. He doesn't say anything. Daniel is disturbed by it. He has to be conjoled by Nebuchadnezzar to actually tell him what the dream. He's saying, hey, listen, you, you need to tell me. Go ahead and tell me. Don't worry about it. He could tell he was upset. He could tell Nebuchadnezzar was getting a download from heaven and didn't like what he was getting. So Daniel says, O king, let this be for your enemies, not you. That's going to be important later. King, I don't want to give you this bad news. I'd rather be giving this to your enemies. But because you asked, here's what it means. You're the tree. This spread over the whole known world. You're, you're it. Your, your reign has spread itself over everywhere. But here's what's going to happen. You are also the man who is going to lose his mind. And for seven years, eat with the oxen. The dew of heaven is going to come. You're not even going to have shelter. Your hair is going to be matted together. It's going to get as long as eagle's wings, feathers, which I don't never really measure eagle's feather, but it's longer than my hair. You can imagine a grown man eating grass, losing his mind. Matter of fact, there, there is a mental disorder that is documented to be like this. It's really rare, but where people display like cow-like attributes and eat grass. So Nebuchadnezzar does this. This is, this is the interpretation of the dream. For seven years, you're going to eat grass like a cow. You're not going to trim your toenails or fingernails. Anybody want to tell me when the last time, how long you've went? Trimming your toenails and fingernails? I mean, if it's a year, we've got to have a conversation. Seven years, he's not going to trim his toenails or fingernails. They said they'll be like claws. 
at the end of the seven years. Now, now I want to say this. I'll get into this more later. I'm not sure this was a seven year established punishment or it was God knowing it would take seven years for Nebuchadnezzar to get over himself. Man, that should breathe a breath of relief in us that there's not that when we turn towards God, he hears us right then. So at the end of those seven years, Nebuchadnezzar turns to heaven and and literally says, I lifted my eyes towards heaven. He acknowledges God in a way that he has not done yet. Now, all these things that we've talked about up to this point in time, Nebuchadnezzar has taken God like like any other God that he had worshiped at that time, little G gods. And he he just, it was like a Swiss army knife. Like in the God of all gods was like the scissors and a, you know, you open up a Swiss army knife, got a little pair of scissors. Just, so Nebuchadnezzar is just another tool. In the, in, the, in the Swiss army knife, like, oh, Daniel, your God does these great things and can interpret dreams that I didn't even remember. And so I'm going to put him in my back pocket. I'll give him a little bit of praise. And then when I need him, I'll just flip him out. At the end of his seven years, Nebuchadnezzar is having an experience that he has yet to have. He is now declaring. He's not acknowledge just acknowledging that God is powerful he's now declaring he's had a real transformational experience lifts his eyes towards heaven and he's making statements now you humble the pride this is a transformation in Nebuchadnezzar's life so you say what does that have to do with today's culture I'm glad you asked We, um, in the last four or five years, six years maybe, we've become an extremely divisive culture in America. There's a whole group of people getting paid to make us hate each other. And what happens in that type of culture is that Whatever side you're on, I don't care what side you're on. I really don't care what side you're on. As long as you're on God's side. And God does not have a political party. I think Joshua had that conversation. Joshua sees the angel comes down and Joshua says, are you for us or against us? He says, neither. I'm with a bigger thing than you are. So God doesn't have a political party, but we've kind of divided ourselves up like that. And have you ever, have you ever had this thought? I can't believe they're getting away with it. You ever had that thought? You turn on the news and you hear another political story or you hear, you hear another story about somebody doing something corrupt and they, and they never seem to get in trouble. They just keep making more money and you, and you're sitting on your couch. I can't believe they're getting away with it. How do they get away with all that? And we have the ruling class and we have our, us little peons down here. We're like, we couldn't get away with that. 
There's no way I'd get away with that. I'd get arrested. I'd get there. And, and we've, we've kind of we've been lured into this us, them. How do, how do people get away with it? And what happens is we end up falling into a trap of Satan where we now are hoping judgment comes on people. Now, I need to be extremely clear about this. I am not saying that you should not get pulled over when you go too fast in your car and get a ticket. I think that's fine. I happen to drive the speed limit all the time. So for all of you who can't control yourselves, I think that you know the law. I mean, it is what it is. I think if you steal something from somebody's house, you should, there should be, I'm not, I'm not saying there shouldn't be the rule of law. I, I'm saying that when we're talking about certain things and we're, and we're wishing judgment on people because we think they got away with it. Can I, can I just tell you something? Nobody ever gets away with it. There's no such thing as getting away with it. Now, we live in an era of grace because Jesus died on the cross for us. But, but, it, but your sin, you didn't get away with your sin. Jesus was punished for it. So you didn't get away with it. Somebody else took your punishment. That's not getting away with it. Somebody was still punished. And by the way, the only reason that that punishment doesn't fall on you is because you have hopefully accepted the one that took the punishment. Okay, now hold on a second, because this is extremely important. It's not that the punishment wouldn't come to me, it's that because he died for me, he took the punishment that was meant for me. Amen? So... If a few of you might remember the Exodus story when God is leading the children of Israel out of Egypt, the last act, the last plague was called the Passover. And what happened was, it wasn't that the Israelites were perfect, it was that they put the blood over the doorpost so when the death angel came, none of their kids were killed. It was foreshadowing for Jesus to come. It's not that you and me are perfect. It's that he, the blood of Christ, is over the doorpost of your life. So by the way, we're not getting away with it. Jesus covered us up. So here's the problem with the idea of getting away with it. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar didn't get away with anything. Now, I need to be, I'd be clear about this because it, it might have seemed like he was getting away with it. Because after all, God established Nebuchadnezzar in his whole kingdom. You go back and read the book of Daniel, at the beginning, God set Nebuchadnezzar up to do his purposes. One of those purposes was to, was to, Meet out judgment on, on Jerusalem. So Nebuchadnezzar was set up by God's eternal purpose to carry out God's plan. And he made him great. The problem was Nebuchadnezzar had a hard time acknowledging that. So he has this dream. Daniel interprets the dream. Daniel hesitates at the beginning. 
man, I hope this ain't for you. My prayer is this dream is for your enemies. Because this ain't good. So what happens is, Daniel at the end of his interpretation says, hey, listen. If you straighten up. Now, he says it a little more kingly. I'm going to give you the Chris paraphrase. Bro. Straighten up a little bit. God may pause this. He said, turn to righteousness. Stop all the things. Stop all the crazy brutality. Stop everything that you're doing. Turn to God. Live a righteous life. And maybe God will, will extend your prosperity. I'm telling you one thing. America's at a crossroads right now. It will be good for us to heed Daniel's words. Stop all the crazy stuff. Turn to God, live in righteousness, and maybe he will extend your prosperity. So the Bible says in the next 12 months, Nebuchadnezzar goes on like nothing happened. Maybe he did. Maybe he did straighten up a little bit. Maybe God's grace gave him 12 months to figure it out. And it might look like he got away with it. After all, the judgment had been ordered. Seven years, you're going to act like a cow. But it takes 12 months for it to come true. So you can imagine the naysayers. Well, Dan, looks like he got away with it. Nobody gets away with anything. Trust me, nobody gets away with anything. So at the end of that 12 months, what happens is Nebuchadnezzar standing on top of his house and he's looking out across his kingdom. And the pride that he never killed swelled up again within him. And he says, look at what I built. This kingdom stretches over the whole earth and I built this thing for me. And the Bible says while he was talking, he didn't even get all the words out. Heaven interrupted him. I'll paraphrase again, bro. You remember 12 months ago when Daniel implored you to seek righteousness? You just blew it. You just blew it. The Bible says for the next seven years, Nebuchadnezzar rolls around the ground like a cow, eating grass. Now, I don't know. He didn't have two stomachs, so I don't even know how that worked. Seems to me grass would be really hard to digest and even harder to expel. (laughs) Listen, church, when there's injustice in the world, it does not mean that God's unjust. I need you to get that extremely clear. Maybe you're new to this whole faith thing and you can't reconcile between yourself how there could be all this evil in the world and there'd be a just God on top of it all. Trust me, injustice in the world is a result of sin that God did not cause. And God, Peter, in his second letter, writes this to clear up the patience thing, to clear up the, it looks like they got away with it. He clears it up and he writes this, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I think there's a problem with that verse. As a follower of Christ for a long time, as a person who thinks they get it right more than they get it wrong, I think there's a problem with the way that verse reads. Because I'm not the problem. 
Anybody ever feel that way? Well, it's not me. I'm doing everything right. I haven't sped in like 30 minutes. Actually, it was a little bit before eight, but anyway. I'm doing it because that doesn't say the Lord is slow to fulfill his promises to some counselors, but is patient towards the bad people who seem like they're getting away with it. It doesn't say that. It says you and me. He's writing it to the church. He's not writing it to heathens. That stings a little, doesn't it? He says God is patient with us because he would that none of us would perish. So it may look like they're getting away with it, but we're getting away with it too because of the grace of God. And it's not that you're getting away with it. that He's so patient with us that he would that none would perish. So the injustices you see that you can't reconcile to a loving God is God trying to save everyone. Now here's the problem. When you take a justice mentality in the era of grace, we mess the whole thing up. So what the, what the church does, what political parties have caused us to do is pray for judgment, not mercy. What the, what the current culture is telling us to do is not give grace to people, but immediately give judgment. Immediately. Stop listening to them. Separate yourself from family. I can't believe they think that way. I can't believe this. I can't believe that. And what's, it, what's the ruling? Not grace and mercy, but judgment. I'm going to block you. I'm going to put you. I'm not talking to you anymore. I can't be friends with you. I can't believe you think that way. It's happening over and over and over and over and over again while the God of heaven is going, can we get a little patience? I mean, after all, I've been patient with you and you're an idiot. That was metaphorically speaking, not personally to any one person in here, but if it fits. Because when we start living like that, then we start celebrating judgment. Come on, you've heard it said in the last couple of years, they had it coming. They had it coming. They got what they deserve. Man, I'm telling you, I'm praying to God that those words never come out of my mouth again. They got what they deserve. Because when we say stuff like that, it negates Jesus going to the cross. Because Christians in an era of grace get duped into living in the Old Testament under the law where we say they did X so they deserve Y and we're not satisfied till that comes upon them. But the problem was 2000 years ago, God screwed that whole formula up when he said, nobody can get this right. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to send Jesus to die for us, for you and me. And what he's going to do is he's going to stop that cycle. So now we don't applaud when people get judgment. We grieve. Because now we live in an era of grace where where it's not even necessary. If they could just come to the knowledge of Jesus and him cover them in his saving grace. 
There's no need for judgment. Daniel does this to Nebuchadnezzar. Right at the beginning, he says, man, I don't want this for you. He says, king, let this be for your enemies. I don't want this for you. Then he gives the interpretation and all the way down at the end, he implores him again. Hey, listen, man, turn. Don't keep doing this. Turn to righteousness. Maybe God will give you, have patience and grace on your life and extend your prosperity. Just, Just push pause on all the crazy. Come on, man. God wants to, God doesn't want to do this. There's still an opportunity. It kind of reminds me, kind of reminds me of the prodigal son. And in Luke, I think it's Luke chapter 15. There's three, uh, there's three parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Not in one single Incidents in those parables was anybody happy that the thing was lost? Sometimes in our political context, it feels like the church is happy that judgment is being doled out. Finally, justice. Finally, God is setting things right. Listen, church, I don't think we want God to set things right. I think we want him to be the patient, loving, kind God that he has been for the last 2,000 years on us. And we want him to keep being patient and keep being patient because judgment starts in the house first. So what happens in each one of those parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, is that there there was a full on dedication to the return of what was lost. I'll put out as much energy as necessary to find the sheep. I'll go down in the deepest ravine and I'll drag that stupid sheep back out of the ravine, bleating in the whole thing. Come on, I've been dumb dragged out before. The coin, I'll sweep under every couch. I'll check under things we haven't cleaned under in years, but I'm gonna find that coin. And the lost son says the father would go out every day and and wait for the lost son to return. The son comes to his senses and when he comes back, the father throws a giant party for him. Now, if you go back to Luke 15 and you read that last parable of the lost son, there is a dichotomy there that I think the church is in the middle of. There's either a celebration or or disgust. The brother says, hey, I've been here the whole time and you never threw a party for me. And the dad went, you can have a party anytime you want. You're the one with the bad attitude. You know why more prodigal sons don't come back to the church? Because they watch us celebrate judgment. We're so happy when the other political party gets judged. We're so happy when the other people, we're so happy when the drug, well, they were using drugs. They got what was coming to them. We're so happy when it seems like, man, God is finally doing it, what I want him to do. And so why would a prodigal ever come back? Walk in the church and wonder if they're going to hear, well, we told you. We told you how this would turn out. Glad you're back, but you better stay straight. 
Father didn't say anything like that, the prodigal son. He said, man, get him a robe and a ring. Get a fatted calf. Let's act like this didn't happen. Let's be happy. The church has been duped into celebrating judgment in a season where God is being so patient with sinners. And he sent Jesus to die for them. Judgment should make us mourn. Not be happy. The problem is, is that pridefulness wells up in our hearts just like it did in Nebuchadnezzar. And pride is the root of separation from God. It's the thing that separates us. It's like the sin of all sins. It's the culmination of everything together. I can do it myself and I don't need you for anything. It's Satan incarnate in us. It's the origin of Satan. I don't need God. I can do this on my own. I'm better than that. I'm equal to. And what happens in us is, listen, <laughs> it's so devious how this happens. Now, I know, I know none, of, none of you have done this, but I'm going to be a little, have a little confession session in front of all of you. You've never said this. Well, I'm glad our kids didn't turn out like that. Yeah. Tell you one thing, I'd never say that to my wife. What I don't tell anybody is I've thought it, I just didn't let it come out. And the Bible says thinking it is at times as bad as doing it. So what we do is we let the judgment that we're trying to dole out on other people and it ends up making us prideful. Well, I've never done anything like that. Well, I would never think like that. Well, I would never let my kids. Well, I would never treat my, I would never do that. I wouldn't. And next thing you know, God is not even in the equation. And we're standing up on top of our roof going, look at all the stuff I built. We have never done anything like they did. And we're in the same place. Hmm. And here's Daniel in exile. Trapped in a country being forced to learn a new language, being forced to learn a new culture, being forced to accept all these things. And yet he still has a massive amount of grace for the guy that orchestrated it all. King, let this not be for you. And by the way, if, if you turn to righteousness, it may not have to happen at all. Could that be the message, the consistent message of the church to the world? We don't want to see you suffer. We're not happy when you suffer. I don't care how you voted. I don't care what you're oriented. I don't care what any, we're not happy when you suffer. It hurts us when you suffer. Maybe that's what the world's waiting to see, a heartbroken church. Less pride and more heartbreak. Jesus doesn't celebrate when people are judged. Heaven mourns when people won't accept Jesus. It's not a celebration. The only celebration in heaven is when somebody new comes into the family. There is no celebration when the other side loses. 
there's mourning. So what happens is, the political parties and the news pundits and our culture has duped the church into believing that there's a winner and a loser and that we're on the winning side. And if you vote a certain way and you believe a certain thing, then you win all the time. And Daniel's sitting here going, King, don't do it. Come on, don't do it. I don't want to see you go through this. Nebuchadnezzar stands up on his roof. Like many people you have seen that you've counseled. And he does it anyway. Okay. Now we're in a different spot. He, um, he stands up on the roof and he gets full of himself one day. He's looking out over everything he's built. And he starts to proclaim his greatness. I don't ever do it that way, that pronounced. I don't ever stand up in on my house and scream out to my neighbors, look at all I've done. In me, it's a little more subtle. And I worked every day for the last six months. I'm a hard worker. Nobody's going to outwork me. And then I go a season and realize your conversation has changed, Chris. You're not saying it was the grace of God. You're not saying that God has blessed you. You're not saying it's just so subtle. So Nebuchadnezzar gets full of himself, stands up and says, look what all I've built. And while he's saying it, a voice from heaven comes down and says, amen. Remember the dream, it's going to happen today. And in that moment, the Bible says Nebuchadnezzar goes crazy. Now the band's going to come up. I'm going to talk about this next point for a little bit. And this is a, I'm not going to be funny. This is a sensitive thing in our culture today that, that I want to deal with. And I hope you give me grace to deal with this. Because I believe God can deliver somebody today. I told you before, I don't know that this seven year period was a determination by God or a, or a foreknowledge by God. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? It's one thing for me to punish my kids for a month. It's another thing for me to know it's going to take a month for them to get it. So there's predestination and foreknowledge. That's what we call it. I don't know if God predestined seven years period that's your punishment. This wasn't a prison sentence. Or if you read it, it was God saying, it's going to take him seven years to get his head screwed on straight. Because it seems like Nebuchadnezzar was able to turn on his own. That's important. God is not punishing you for a set period of time. Get that out of your head. You didn't make a mistake 15 years ago and you're still suffering for it. And you've got this warped sense that it's, well, it's going to be another five years. I know he's not, it's going to take 20. No, 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 no. That's not it. Because Nebuchadnezzar, watch how he writes. So he's writing and then all of a sudden he switches back into the first person. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar. It's like he was telling the story in third person. Then he switches back to his testimony. I'm going to let you know how this thing ended rolling around in the grass like a cow eating grass 
claws like eagles. He woke up and realized he needed a pedicure. Put that scripture up, that last one. It says, he looks, turns his eyes towards heaven. He has full on lost his mind. And then in a moment, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. Now listen to me. We are in a culture where mental health is declining by the second. We're in bad shape as a, as a country. It is not getting better. COVID, we're all trapped in our houses, going crazy. It is not getting better. If, if you know a counselor or a psychologist, they're booked until Jesus comes back. Now listen to me. I am not opposed to counselors and psychologists. I've been to both of them. And I sit in front of them and say, hey man, I need to know what to do with this. And they give me good advice. But here is the point I want to make. You cannot be at peace in here until you're at peace with this. It will not happen. There's not enough counselors or psychologists or drugs to take that if you're not at peace with God, you cannot have peace in here. It is not possible because he is the God of peace and he can give you peace in here if you will have this right. And it is so frustrating to watch people suffer and suffer and suffer and suffer when the key, the key to start unlocking that door is to start here. When Nebuchadnezzar got sick of eating grass and got sick of having claws like an eagle, it says, I looked up to heaven, read it, and I blessed the most high. Now skip that comma part. Just leave that out for a second because I'm going to give you what needs to happen. I looked up to heaven, I blessed the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, his kingdom endures from generation to generation. Keep going. And all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me. Why is this so important? The beginning of your mental health starts with the recognition that God is the God of all, everything, the universe, everything that happens. And there's not a step that you have taken that if you're a child of God, that he is not directed, that he is not ushering you through, that he is not with you and for you, that he does not have enough power to take the anxiety out of your mind at this moment. If we turn our eyes to him and we say, God, forgive me for my pride, forgive me for ignoring you, and let me turn my eyes to you, Nebuchadnezzar said, man, when I did that, my mind was restored to me. Now listen, now listen, stand to your feet. I need to leave you one more, one more thing. Listen to me. He still had to cut his hair and he still had to get a manicure. His hair didn't just shrink up normal. He didn't start smelling better that day and he still had grossly long toenails. So what I'm saying is you may still need to go to a counselor to figure it out, but you can't start thinking about figuring it out until this is until this is. And what our culture is telling us is that we can go for 10 years to a counselor and ignore God and everything will end up fine. And it won't. 
So the church has to be the place where people that have, that can't figure it out can come in and look, lift their eyes to heaven from where their help comes from and see relief in their mind and relief in their soul because they've been forgiven of their sins and the God of the universe is for them and with them. Amen.